This is Peter. And this is Tom. And you're listening to History Teachers Talking Podcasts. All right, this is Peter Zablocki and Thomas Reska. Welcome back to our podcast. Tommy, what do we got? Uh, well, today we're going to be looking at something that, again, I think we knew a little bit about, but I didn't know as much about it until we started researching it. It's like an event that people probably heard of, but maybe not, not, not know the detail of. We're going to look at a um, the conflict or the, the Falcon Islands War, the Falcon Islands Conflict, because it was a uh, short, undeclared war between Argentina and Britain, which basically was over the sovereignty of the Falcon Islands, the South Georgia and the South Sandwich Islands, and it lasted for 74 days and cost over 900 lives. Yeah, about 10 weeks total. Fairly brief war. And um, as you and I talked about before we clicked the record button, we are going to discuss the implications, the political implications of this war, because it becomes very obvious when we start to research this conflict that it's not as much about the military aspect, which is still very important, but also about the impetus behind the conflict from both sides, the Argentinians as well as the British, and just kind of what the war and the conflict meant for some political futures of certain individuals. And also, militarily-wise, the Falcon conflict remains one of the largest air-naval combat operations right, between modern forces since the end of the Second World War. Um, it is studied intensely through different military analysis um, as well as different historians since then, uh, since it happened, because it is, you know, pretty much a, a model of what modern air naval combat operation would look like. I mean, and again, by modern, yeah, sure. you know, modern ish, but well, it was in the eighties. Um, well, yeah, it was eighty two. Yeah, you were. Wait, where were you born? Um, I think I was two days old when it ended. <laughs> yeah, so I wasn't alive yet. All right, so let's uh, let's get into talking about this a little bit and, and kind of. You know, see what, why, and all that other good stuff. Yeah, well, okay. I guess to start talking about, you have to kind of look at like the background a little bit, right? So, mm-hmm. Argentina has wanted this island for a long time. It, is, it goes from back from years. But basically, what was going on here is that the British have had this island since the 1700s, actually the 1600s. They've had control over the Falkland Islands. Um, it's a very small population there. So, that's what people have to understand, too. There's only about what, like, 1,800 people there at the time. And the descendants of like the early, early settlers Brits. on this island. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, they are British, and um, what basically happened is it, they were they they were always voting whether or not to become part of Argentina because Argentina wanted it, or to become part of or to remain British subjects. Sorry, we should mention a little quick here that the actual Falkland Islands lie only three hundred miles east of Argentina, yeah. so they're Actually, they're right there. Yeah, they are literally next to Argentina, not anywhere near Britain. So that should be kind of established. Yep. Yeah, they're they're okay. eight thousand miles away from Britain, so that that causes yep. a big problem for this war too. Which is why it took ten weeks because a lot of that time is just yep. transport time. And the the British have had the island dating back since sixteen ninety, like I said. But the Argentinians actually did put up a like fort on one of the other islands. And um, yep. it was there for a while, and the British kind of just let them do it, They're like whatever, because again, it, it was they never really invested much money. They didn't even care about the Falkland Islands all that much yep. until '82. To give a little backtrack is basically both countries, Argentina and Britain, are not in the best of circumstances. Let's say in 1982, Great Britain, for example, they have the empire's shrinking still. They have high unemployment. They have the economy is, sta- is stagnating. Margaret Thatcher is the is the prime minister. And she's having a hard time holding on the power because she's saying, you know, a vote for me is a, you know, it's a vote for the change, making things better, and things are not getting better. And it's the same thing in Argentina. They're having high inflation, they're having high unemployment, and the military actually takes over, and they're trying to show their strength. 
So you have these two opposing sides who are really looking for something to kind of galvanize the people, looking for something to kind of gain support both ways. And they both, and the Argentinians, particularly the mil their military says, all right, we're going to go and we're finally going to take the Falcon Islands. These are our islands. Because in 1982, it was also, it was the most recent time at that period when they had a vote and the 1800 people decided, no, we're going to stay members of the British Empire. We don't want to become part yeah. of, of Argentina. And that's when Argentina's like, fine, like, all right, we're taking it. And they already had some troops there. Yeah, it's early 1982, absolutely. And Argentina is under the control of a military leader, Lieutenant um, Leopoldo Galerti, I would say. Um, Galerti, yeah. He winds up planning this invasion, as you mentioned, mainly because he and his military regime is being heavily criticized for economic mismanagement and also human rights abuses to, to kind of be more a little bit you know, more specific there. But he believed that a recovery of this island would unite all the Argentine people behind the government in like this patriotic fervor, like, okay, so the economy's bad, everything's bad, but like, you know, we're Argentinians. So he started training this elite invasion force in secrecy, actually, in like in late 1981, early 1982, planning this attack. But actually what happens is he's kind of forced into it on March 19th, 1982, when there's a dispute that erupts on a British-controlled South Georgia island, it is one of the Falcon Islands, where Argentine salvage workers wind up kind of rebelling against um, yeah. their bosses, right? And they raised this big Argentine flag. That was a big on, thing, yeah. They raised that was a big flag. thing. Yeah, that's causing all the outcry. Thing. And, then, and then they send the Argentine army and they take over the small British fort there. But what's interesting yeah. is like, like if they were ready to invade, but then they're forced to do it because of this like little uprising of workers. Because the fact that this flag goes up this becomes like national news and international news. England's like, wait, what is that? Send a, send a British ship there. What's going on? Like, is there an uprising? And that's when you have Galerti's like, all right, let's do it. Let's just hit them with what we've been planning. So the Argentine troops invade the Falklands on April 2nd. And as you mentioned, right, they quickly overcome the small garrison of British Marines at um, Capital, which is Stanley. And um, it's, it's the only town also on that island. Yeah, on the island. We'll get to yeah. And another thing to make people know, like we said, there's only 1,800 British people that live on these islands. There are over 500,000 sheep. That's what everyone does there. If you live in the Falcon Islands, you are a sheep herder. That's it. That's your job. That's what you do. That's so that's why the British were, ne cool, were never really that into this. And that's why they also, the Argentinians didn't think the British were going to fight for it. It's 8,000 it's 8, miles yeah. away. There's no way they're going to send in forces over here and have them die for. They're like, more people are going to die than what's actually on the islands. That's what that's what they're thinking. So did you did you notice that initially when the Argentinians attacked, they had an order. Argentinian soldiers had an order uh, not yeah. to inflict any British casualties, which I thought was really kind of neat because, I mean, you're you know, they're attacking and taking over or trying to take over these islands. But they're told do not inflict any casualties on the locals or British citizens. Well, well I guess the idea behind that was basically like, why give the British a reason? Like if we start killing British soldiers, they're gonna, they're, they might actually come. You know what I mean? They might send their forces. Yeah. They're gonna want revenge. You don't want to give them any provocation, any cause to keep it up. So by April, within a month, Argentina winds up stationing more than ten thousand troops on the Falklands um, island, Falkland Islands, and majority of these troops were poorly trained conscripts. Right? They were not supplied with really proper food, clothing, or shelter, or anything else for the approaching winter. But the premise was to just get a foothold in the Falklands. So ten thousand troops within a month. It kind of had the effect initially, at least that they expected. Um, the Argentine population reacted very favorably, right? So you have large crowds gathered at Plaza de Mayo 
um, which is the presidential palace, demonstrated support for the military initiative. It, it's kind of working initially, but British government under Prime Minister Margaret Thatcher is like, e no, right? Um, and she basically declares war zone for 200 miles around the Falklands and assembles, which is kind of hastily, I would say hastily assembles a naval task force um, that was built around two main aircraft carriers. Uh, one was a 30-year-old HMS Hermes and the other one, which... Um, which I think it was HMS Invincible. It was a light carrier, much newer. But essentially, that's the main force. Everything around it is kind of just built around these two aircraft carriers. And boom, they send it in to see what happens. There's a really famous uh, Newsweek cover. I'm sure you saw this because, I mean, for us, we love Star Wars. But a very famous Newsweek cover that shows a picture of one of the British aircraft sailing to Falkland Islands and and the main on the cover the title of the article is the empire strikes back um it's kind of cool i, I mean i yeah well because this i mean is it's like not cool last... we're talking about war but yeah well no i don't know what you're saying well it's the last it's the last remnants of the british empire and thatcher talks yeah. about that and she says we have to recover those islands we have to recover them for the people on them are british and we still owe allegiance to the crown and want to be british so like she she's making this a big deal and it becomes very popular in britain it becomes very popular in Britain, this war. All right, so if you look at the actual conflict itself, uh, April 25th, the British task force is ready, and it's basically steaming towards Argentina, right, in the war zone. But a smaller British force takes the South Georgia island back and captures one of Argentina's vintage U.S.-made diesel-electric submarines. And this kind of uh, is an ongoing thing that keeps on popping up here, is that Argentina actually has a lot of old military stuff that they're not really um up to date as much as the british are with you know their tools of war you might say however it's yeah. this is also a compliment to how well they do considering their old technology yeah, you can make the argument but you can also show what they say this kind of show the superior technology does wimpies really a lot of people even in the united states the military experts were saying there's no way that britain is going to be able to recapture these islands they're just too well defended and things like that, but it just shows that te technological superiority that the British have over the Argentinians with their weapons and such that they are able to win. Most historians still say Argentina should have won this conflict if they would have like yep. waited out a little longer. I did see that. I did see what you just mentioned, the idea that the British um, analysis was, I mean, the American analysis was, yeah, these, guy, these guys are not going to win. Like England. No. We said, listen, we're going to help you. We're going to help yeah. you as much as we can. We gave them a lot. We were even getting ready to um, give them one of our aircraft carriers. If they're like one of our old aircraft carriers, if one of theirs got sunk, we were going to like give them one. So it was like we were there. Like we were, we were helping them out, but we're like, I don't know if you guys are going to be able to do this. Like it's not going to be easy. Well, this is, I mean, it's also Ronald Reagan and Margaret Thatcher. I mean, uh, you know, the faces yeah. of conservatism in 1980. So they're definitely going to help each other out. The aircraft carrier talking about, which again, never happened. We never had to give it to them. Um, I started looking into this because, you know, like when you start Googling things and you start, yeah. you know, click on one thing, another, another. But it was actually an Iwo Jima class amphibious assault ship. And those are it was known as the USS Guam. This one was readied to be lent over to Britain. But this is a interesting aircraft carrier because it's designed specifically for helicopters um, and yeah, that, not for the invasion, yeah. yeah, which is really cool. So the British have the sea carrier planes which at the time were one of the first planes ever to be able to take off like a helicopter and then turn into an actual jet fighter. So they asked for these helicopter-based 
um, aircraft carriers so they could put their Harriers on them, which I thought was kind of cool. But never, never really had to happen. And the United States initially um, felt that Thatcher was a little too quick to send this force in. They believed that, especially the United States um, Congress, believed that Thatcher could have used some diplomatic options that she had, but she chose to strike back right away as opposed to diplomacy. And there was a fear by the U.S. that this conflict could somehow draw the Soviet Union on Argentina's yeah. side. But again, this is 1982. Soviet Union's like out of money because of their own war that they're literally waging. And at the end of the day, United States send delegation to Argentina as saying that they could be the go-between for peace talks. Argentina's like, no, <laughs> like, get yeah, out no, of here. Thank you. So after that, yeah. the U.S. was like, all right, fine, forget it. <laughs> like, let's go. Yeah, Sorry, we yeah. started just giving them satellite image with them, use our satellites. We were giving them weather reports of the area yep. and everything like that. Like logistics, like, all right, well. <laughs> you don't want our help? Like, no, we'll help the other guys. Was, again, it, it, it's the Argentinian military that's in power. You have to understand that too. So yeah. they're obviously not, they're going to assume they're going to win this no matter what. So like you said, yeah, the, the battle's going on. And I guess early on, it's probably the most controversial event of this war takes place, right? It's the sinking of the... Argentine cruiser. So May 2nd, um, there's a, basically it's an old obsolete Argentine cruiser purchased from the US after World War II. It's an old World War II cruiser that is, you know, being used in 1982. It was the General Belgrano was the name of this cruiser. And it was sunk outside the war zone, which is it's so interesting because this is such a like neat war. You know what I mean? They're like, all yeah, right, you only fight here. It's like, it's, like a, it's like a wrestling ring. You don't fight outside. Literally. It's on the whole bar mm. match. You're keeping it in, be- in between the ropes. But this ship was not in the war zone. <laughs> yeah, and that's what makes it controversial. Because also most of the deaths that the Argentinians suffered during this were because of this particular sinking of the ship. Yeah, so over three hundred. Yep, over three hundred deaths total, which is half, more or less, almost half of all of the casualties that Argentina suffers um, during this particular conflict. And the idea was that it was unfair because it happened outside the. De- designed war zone lines, which I get, I can't get over that. Um, it's like a neat. Let's be nice about this. Starting with even the whole idea of the Argentinian forces, like we're not going to kill British people. Like it's an interesting war to say the least. Then you had the. Um, since we're already on that topic, you had the uh, Red Cross box. Did you see that? That before the British offensive operations began, the British and Argentine governments agreed to like establish an area. History is complicated. The story of human progress is long, messy, and riddled with controversies big and small. On Conflicted, we dive headfirst into history's most infamous events and contentious figures. We try and untangle the good from the bad, the fact from the fiction, and the monsters from the misunderstood. Was Genghis Khan a murderous butcher or a civic pioneer? Did the Allied powers go too far in firebombing the German city of Dresden at the twilight of World War II? And how did the Marquis de Sade acquire such a sinister reputation? And was any of it true? These are just a few of the tough questions we wrestle with and investigate on Conflicted. So if you love history or just enjoy a good story, please join me, your host, Zach Cornwell, for a fascinating new topic each and every month. Conflicted, a history podcast, is available on Spotify, Apple, or wherever else you get your podcasts. I hope to see you soon.
on the high seas, right, where they could station their hospital ships. So they, they literally created this like box, imaginary box in the ocean and said, all right, there's like 20 miles diameter. It's like a circle and it referred to officials as the Red Cross box. It was about 45 miles off of uh, Falkland Islands. And basically, the British stationed their ships and um, Argentinians stationed their ships. And it was like a hospital area, Red Cross box. So, like, again, this is so different from when we, like, when we study World War One, World War Two. you know, like this is so almost like a civilized war in a sense. Following this controversial event of the sinking of General Belgrano um, cruiser, Argentine ships kind of were mostly kept in port, which changes the whole yeah. military it changes the whole war. Uh, it changes the war. conflict, yeah. So their yeah. Navy's pretty much not there, right? The only thing yeah. their Navy's doing, I think, was just, well, I saw was they were just using naval aircraft to basically attack, and they had a couple diesel-powered submarines that they did, which still caused yeah. uh, quite a bit of damage on the British fleet. The British lose a good number of ships during this time. But the main thing is here is, is the Air Force, like we talked about. This is an older Air Force. They're using conventional bombs. But what also, because of what it is, is they're, they're right at the edge of their combat like radius. So they, they can only do one pass at the, at the British fleet. And if the British fleet, yeah. and they can only do it if the British fleet was actively trying to engage the Falcon Islands at all. Um, if, they just get, if they just backed up a couple of miles... They were out of the. They were out of the Argentinian position. They they couldn't range. attack them at all. Yeah, they're out of range. Yeah, they were out of their yeah. range. Um, they did. I I read they did get some French made um some French made aircraft towards the end and some. Um, they did like they super the like supersonic whatever. Yeah. yeah. Well, they got they got some anti ship missiles. Only a handful. They didn't get a lot, but they were like really deadly. And again, that's kind of proven. And again, if you're following what's going on in the war in Ukraine now, these anti ship missiles. You can have these giant ships. They get hit with a couple of these anti ship missiles, and that's it. It's done. And there's there's designed to take out these ships and there's just no way really getting around them unless the ships have enough um, anti-aircraft surrounding them and stuff like that. But yeah, so yep. the Argentinians were doing, um, they were fighting with less technology, but they were doing a pretty good job at keeping the British at bay. They really handicapped by the technology that they had just wasn't up to par with what the, their opponents had. Yep. And also, I mean, this became after the sinking of that battleship, this, be, this became an air war. Um, you know, yeah, both sides realize that just, not getting that, yeah. both sides, yeah, and especially since I mean, England's really there with their two main aircraft carriers, so they're kind of limited as well with regards to long range air cover. I mean, they all they have is what at this point, right? What their air superiority or rather lack thereof. This is always often pointed out in this war that this proved to England that they do not have air superiority. They have an awesome navy, but when it comes to air. Ground to air, air to air, they were severely lacking. Like as we mentioned, these old jets that are probably thirty years old are sinking British ships. I mean, Britain lost a, quite a few ships on here that were sunk through air to ground missiles. Basically, old school like dropping bombs. This is like World War Two tactics, but it's yeah. nineteen eighty two. Yeah. yeah, these aren't laser so you have the or anything like that. Yeah, no, nothing, nothing. Yeah, they would just fly over and drop a bomb on these British. Destroyers, and that's kind of how in May Fourth, Argentines sank the destroyer HMS Sheffield. Right. It also said in here that it's lost about thirty percent of all their planes. Again, showing to the world that they did not it's have this air superiority. So yeah. while this is happening in the air, and the Argentinians are doing their thing, what the Argentinians cannot do or prevent is the British uh, making an amphibious landing on the island. So, and that's exactly what happened. So the Argentinian forces decide that they're basically going to station themselves at the capital. Stanley being a capital had one of the main airstrips and they wanted to protect their airstrip. And then the British Navy winds up having this amphibious assault on the Falcon Islands. They basically take over and start racing towards Stanley 
And eventually what happens, they drop a bomb on the main Stanley airstrip, kind of stopping the air superiority of the Argentinians because it forced Argentinians to then fly out of Argentina proper to fight the British and not be yeah, able like to use before, the Falkland Islands. Their ships couldn't keep on doing that. It really limited them. So basically what, what happens here, this is kind of like the beginning of the end at this point, because the only Argentine force is stationed in the capital. And what the British do is they basically surround the capital. The British land. Yep. They land unopposed, right, on May 21st. The Argentine, there are some Argentine defenders there, um, about 5,000, like, like uh, we were saying before. They were strong. They were, had a very effective resistance. And there's a lot of having fighting. And while this is going on, the Argentine Air Force is still bombing a lot of their the, the British fleet. They sink a couple of freighters, some destroyers, container ships, but they never damage the aircraft carriers. And they never sink enough ships to jeopardize the British mm-hmm. landing operation, like resupply and stuff like that. But at the same time, they keep on losing jets. They keep on losing their helicopters and their ground attack planes. Yep. So you just can't really keep it up. And then from the, from the beachhead, basically, the British infantry is able to constantly advance more and more. It's hard fighting. A lot of it's actually hand-to-hand combat um, against these really dug-in Argentinian troops. But the British succeed in taking, occupying the high ground west of Stanley. And then from there, they're able to basically to um, bombard and blockade the capital and the main port. And then the Argentinian garrison got cut off. And then they were basically gonna, they were basically starved out. And then um, the Argentinian commander, Menendez, surrendered on June 14th, which essentially ended the conflict. Um, they still had small garrisons. The British still have to um, remove this small um, Argentinian garrison on Sandwich Island. It's about 500 miles mm-hmm. southeast on June 20th, but it was pretty much over after that. And again, this is very, very popular. It's like an image of a um, that one of the press took of the British soldiers marching in, and they have like the British flag tied up to his radio antenna, and that's like sent back to England. Everyone's like, oh, this is all, you know. So it makes a huge nationalistic pride in England right after this. And overall, the British actually wind up capturing about 11,000 Argentine prisoners during this yeah. war, and they were all released quickly thereafter. It's like, all right, we had this war, and like it's over now. Um, so they released the prisoners and Argentina announced that about 650 lives or so were lost. Like we mentioned before, half of them were because of the sinking of the general Belgrano. Uh, Bryn lost about half of that, a little less, 255 official lives had been lost. Generally speaking, most of the uh, South American countries, except Chile, supported Argentina. The United States, France, you know, New Zealand, Australia, you know, the, your typical who you would think would support Britain did support Britain throughout throughout this conflict. Generally speaking, as you mentioned, the aftermath, Margaret Thatcher popularity increases. Oh, she, she, become, yeah, she becomes Margaret Thatcher. Like, you know, like yep. that's it. She, um, her conservative government and party was actually trailing in the opinion polls months before the conflict. And then she winds up winning re-election by a wide margin. As for the islanders and actual Falkland Islands, the islanders are given full British citizenship in 1983, which also improved the relations between them and England. And there is also a lot of economic help that is being now directed towards Falkland Islands to make life for these people better. In 85, there's a new constitution that was enacted promoting self-government for the islanders, which is something that is continuously being discussed to this day, even though Argentina kind of claims today that Falkland Islands belong to them and the British yeah, say it belongs to them and nothing's really happening. Since then, it's called Fortress Falklands. And the British government basically decided to create a long-term policy of providing the island with an actual military garrison. They realized that when the initial invasion happened in 82, 
it was very quick for the Argentinians to take over the islands because there just wasn't a viable military garrison stationed there. So from that point forward, you have permanent military complex, you know, there just in case. What else you got? And then what happened to uh, what, ha- well, what happened to Argentina after this? Right, is basically the military me. government yeah. was discredited. You had well, it was discredited. Like this is a military, it's a military government, and they just failed this war. They were kind of like discredited. There was like people calling for their ouster. And space. what happened because they, they're failed to prepare and support its own forces in this invasion that it basically ordered and it failed. So the civilians basically rise up and civilian rule was restored in 1983. And like you said, they still say though, listen, I find Britain won, but that they still believe the Falkland Islands should be is are theirs. Which again is weird because there's not. I don't. I mean, I guess strategically it's important, but I'm reading about it like there's just like. There's, like I said, there's 500,000 sheep on the island. There's a whole bunch of, like, um, it's the largest uh, place where the albatrosses go. Like, these are the things that are there. Like, and yet you have these two countries, like, constantly fighting for it. There's, there's no um, shops whatsoever um, I saw. There's only there's seven bars on the entire island. I mean, it's a nice island. Is that there's still so many um, landmines on the island. I think they only recently just dug up some of the last landmines because Argentina was putting so many landmines on the island when the British were coming to get ready for the invasion. There's actually signs that say, slow down minefield. So you don't like accidentally step on a mine. (laughs) So this happens a few years later, but we talk about cultural impact of this. And for those of us out there that do like um, to watch football, as in like football and or soccer, uh, I'm sure you saw this too, 1986 FIFA World Cup, um, which is eventually won by Argentina, um, led by one of Argentina's greatest soccer players, Diego Maradona. But... You know how like we have our miracle and ice game when you talk about like mm-hmm. a cultural historic boarding event for us, it would be us versus the Soviets in a miracle on ice. When it comes to Argentina, they have their own version of a super historically significant boarding event. And that is the quarterfinal of the FIFA World Cup, Argentina versus England played on June 22nd, 1986. And it's played in Mexico City because the World Cup was in Mexico City. It's only four years after the Falkland Islands War. And Argentina and the United Kingdom are just not friends at, at all. And England also prides itself to be the origin nation of soccer, as we would call it here in the States. But basically what happens is Diego Maradona winds up scoring two very infamous goals during this time. In the 50, uh, first minute, this is known as the Hand of God goal. Uh, Maradona scored by basically, you know, it looks like a header, but he actually uses his hand and, and the referee didn't see it, but videos, cameras caught it. Um, and then he kind of puts them up. And then four minutes later is the most famous dribble where Diego Maradona dribbles past five England players. Like they're, they're shocked that they were, you know, that they just got scored against. He dribbles basically through the entire field. And winds up scoring the goal of the century, as becomes known. And Argentina wins the game 2-1. And they wind up going to win the, go on to win the 1986 World Cup, which was supposedly, at least in the sporting world, this was like the like a battle victory. They eventually won the World Cup by beating England. Kind of very similar to like our miracle on ice, which probably we should do a podcast on because it's like kind of a big deal. Well, no, I mean, I think, like you said, this war, basically, if you look at it, Thatcher, be, England wins and they got this national pride and everything like that. Thatcher becomes the Thatcher that we know in history, right? And then mm-hmm. Argentina is kind of like left in the dust, right? That Their government who also started this war for nationalistic reasons loses, right? And then they, that, that government is, is ousted. 
And then yet the conflict is still kind of there as far as that both sides still this, the British still say, no, it's our territory. And Argentinians say, well, not really. But again, it's sheep. Like they're Crazy. saying, you know, who gets to herd sheep there? But okay, whatever. I get it. <laughs> anyway, so I think that kind of concludes our Falkland Islands War podcast episode. I mean, I had fun researching this and... You know, it was fun talking about it. So uh, for all those of you guys that do tune in every week, thank you so much. We really do appreciate you tuning in. And if you do listen to us, please do give us a review wherever you are listening to this and click the subscribe button. Um, it does help us out. So if you ever need to reach us, you can reach us at www.historyteacherstalkingpodcast.com. We are here to answer any of your questions and we are very open to suggestions about any topics you may want us to do. Um, I guess that's it. Have a nice week, guys, and uh, we'll see you next week. Stay safe, everybody. I hope everyone enjoyed our podcast, and if you would like to email us, you can do so at historyteacherspodcast at gmail.com. Mad Magazine. Advertising mascots. B-movie posters. And cartoons. Oh yeah, can't forget cartoons. If you get the funky connection that ties these pop culture gems together, you'll dig two designers walk into a bar. See, we're a couple of creatively curious pals living between the bookends of grand museums and dive bars. Hey, you know the place. The sweet spot where highbrow and lowbrow become drinking buddies. So join our barroom chats as we talk influential work and uncover stories of how the familiar became iconic. Think behind the music for the stuff we love. Check out our website at twodesignerswalkintoabar.com. And listen wherever you get your podcasts or visit evergreenpodcasts.com.